Back up, please. Hello and welcome to Indica's Point Blank podcast series, a podcast uh, series which basically gives us an excuse to spend some time talking to extremely insightful people. And um, for this episode, we have someone with us who started out being a poet and then moved on to you know, what was and probably is still considered to be as the top job in Indian journalism. He was a publishing editor at uh, Times of India for more than 10 years, while he was, you know, editing other magazines as well. At the same time, one of those magazines was uh, the famous Illustrated Weekly in its glory days. He was uh, the editor for that magazine as well. And now is best known as a movie producer. So the person we have with us is uh, Mr. Pritish Nandi. Hi, Hi. Hi. Okay. Let's just get started with, uh, you know, you started out being a poet and first book of your poems of Gods and uh, Olives came out when you were only 16 years of age. Now, that is not what, uh, you know, a typical 16 year old does because, you know, probably poetry is not considered to be a very macho thing to be doing. And, you know, guys in that age are really into sports or into some other physical activity. Poetry just doesn't seem to fit in it. Well, I think I was in a fairly large number of physical activities and <laughs> sports at that point of time. I was a badminton player, a table tennis player, I was a boxer, and I was a swimmer, and I was a rugby player. Five things. Uh-huh. In our school, it was compulsory to be a rugby player, a swimmer, and a boxer. So those three things were part of my school curriculum. Mm-hmm. And at home, where I stayed, there was, a, there was a local YMCA out there, where I did badminton and uh, basketball. Men played basketball in okay. those days in India. And uh, table tennis. I trained under Victor Bana, the world champion oh. for table tennis. All right. And you, you did all this, you did your schooling in Calcutta. I did my schooling in Calcutta. Because cricket didn't figure out in one of those sports. So, obviously, you went yes, I did it in Calcutta. And I did some soccer, but not too much of it. Rugby was the in thing in those days. Is that so? Yeah. Oh, well. Now, uh, you know, it's funny that you mentioned you, that you did so many things. Uh, you played, you know, for all these sports, etc. You have written poems. But I found a lot of information about your professional life. But no, you know, rather very little information about your academic life. So, can you can you talk a bit about that? Well, I went to school in a school called La Martinière. And uh, it was a good school. It was a fun school. And uh, as I said, we did a lot of fun things there. But I really wasn't terribly excited about being educated. Okay. It's never excites me, even till today of being educated, being being taught by someone and uh, being expected to learn. One of the first things it did to me was that it put into my heart and mind a complete and total disdain for anything that was literary. Oh, really? Yes. And uh, I hated Shakespeare. I think the worst writers of English novels English fiction were Charles Dickens, William Thackeray, Rudyard Kipling, all the stuff all the established ones, all the established stuff that I was supposed to read, and I found it boring, tedious, didn't move me, and uh, 
I just thought it was a colossal waste of time, as indeed was algebra, trigonometry, <laughs> calculus, and all the stuff that uh, we were asked and expected to learn. What I did enjoy was uh, sitting down and watching the world go by. What I did enjoy was uh, reading unconventional stuff, stuff that most people wouldn't read. I read what my elder brothers were reading, Albert Camus, Pablo Neruda, even Henry Miller, who was in, then banned as a pornographer. Right. D. H. I, Lawrence. I know Henry Miller, but other, the, the other authors are probably not as, you know, as familiar to D. me. D. H. Lawrence, Lady Chatterley's lover. I loved it. And I thought, this is literature. This is fun. This is fun. It had sex. It had literary merit. It had magic. It had everything. I suddenly discovered that what I was reading in my textbooks wasn't really what excited me about literature, but there was something happening which was outside this sphere, which was great literature, great writing, great poetry. And I tried to dig them out, spend time, sort them out, in between, of course, playing the kind of games and sports that was expected of me. And we were not really a co-education institution. We had the girls' school across the road. Right. So in between romancing some of the girls out there. So love, life was wonderful. Life, love, poetry, mm. fiction, sports, everything was beautiful. It was enchanting. Except I think the sheer rigor and the discipline of being inside a uh, school and doing, uh, studying things that didn't excite me particularly bothered me a little bit. The formal and the structured approach. Structured approach. And again, I discovered many years later in my life, I hated algebra, trigonometry, calculus, mathematics, was my pet hate. Years later, I loved mathematics. I went out of my way and learned, read about mathematics. I do it now. Some of the books that I read all the time, among the books that I read all the time, are books of mathematics. The way you address it. If you address mathematics like Martin Gardner, and you went out and did... Uh, fun things with mathematics, puzzles, trying to work out things, use your brains in the areas instead of trying to mug them up. Anything that you learn can be fun. So when I passed out of school, I got a, I think I got a first day, mm -hmm. I wanted to do something different in my life, something real with my life. I didn't want to concentrate on further academics. So I went to college very briefly, wasn't at all happy there again. Mm -hmm. And then I dropped it. You dropped out of college. I dropped out of college. Most people don't know this, and fortunately for me. <laughs> and uh, I began my life as a writer. I used to write at night, and during the day I used to do my day job was that of making tea in a Punjabi tea shop on Benting Street in Calcutta. That's and uh, thereafter from that I went into being a traveling salesman. From that I went into being an accounts clerk. So I did all kinds of odd jobs, trying to keep body and soul together. Uh -huh. And uh, I wrote, and I wrote, and I wrote. So the first book appeared when I was 16, and in the next 10 years, I must have written about 40, 50 books. And uh, poetry, short fiction, translations, a lot of translations, published by the University of Chicago, published by well-known publishers abroad well-known publishers in India, books that could fetch me money, because that was not the kind of stuff I did, but uh, books that were fun writing, which I wanted to write. 
And those books acquired some of the literary side, acquired iconic status, particularly the poetry stuff. I had a couple of books which did 30, 40 editions and completely uh, blew the socks off people who said that nobody reads poetry. Yeah. And uh, I made poetry to the sexiest art form out in my city. Would you see that poetry is still in right now? No, no, no. Poetry, like most things in life, it works around people. If you have people who are exciting, interesting enough, who can uh, take it beyond what it is or appears to be, then the whole art form itself gets a pickup. Like Hussein did with art, or Souza did with art. You need people to take it out. Any art form, in many ways, is pure drudgery. You're working, you're slogging, you're creating something. But the flamboyance, the magic, the eloquence that some people bring to their art form makes it into a public platform. During my time, poetry became the in thing. It was as big as motion pictures, it was as big as writing novels, it was as big as anything else. And then, ten years later, I chucked it up. I met a man on a plane who wanted me to come and assist him in running his company. And I came to this city to do a very interesting job in media, which spanned both editorial and management, which was the first time such a job had happened in India. Had happened, it has happened, happened after that and hasn't happened before that. You are referring to the stint as the publishing editor, right? Publishing director of the Times of India as well as managing editor. So I was both together. And... uh, Yeah, I was going to get to that. So, you know, how does a guy without a degree, a a graduate degree, get to be, you know, the publishing... By that time, I I was one of India's most famous writers. (laughs) So, and Mr. Jain, who I met on the plane, was very eager that uh, I should join him. And I was very eager. I enjoyed the man's company. And when he told me what he wanted me to do, I agreed. Initially, I wasn't eager. Because initially, I just got the Baba Fellowship. And I was planning to go away to Lisbon, build a boat, and sail down from there to Calicut, around the Cape of Good Hope. It was I wanted to make it an interesting journey, as well as record the journey. Uh, in today's times. Hmm. A replica journey of Vasco da Gama's, obviously. I was pretty much advanced into that project. I needed a, some support for my family when I was away, and that's why I took the Baba Fellowship. Hmm. And the day I took the Baba Fellowship and I was going back to Bombay, well, back from Mumbai to Kolkata, that's when I met Mr. Jain on the plane. And that's a, that's, that's some he, good luck. And that's when he offered me the job. So I said, I mean, he asked me to have joined him for breakfast, actually, the next morning, which I did, and uh, it was a house next to mine, which I'd never known. Big lawn and that beautiful bungalow next to that tiny little house, that flat that I had in Kolkata. So I went there for breakfast, and uh, he suggested that I think of this job. I said, I'll give it a try. And that's how I came to this city. That's interesting. That was uh, in the winter of 1982. I walked into this city. It was and joined the Times of India, I think, on the 1st of December or something like that. So what was your first day like? I mean, here is a 26-year-old guy with, uh, you torn know, jeans, no... torn jeans and a T-shirt, who walked into the office and uh, 
was trying to communicate with people who were about at least three times his age, mm -hmm. two and a half to three times his age, and were not very happy to meet him. And uh, it was tough. But then everything changes when you work with people and you can show people that you are not working with them as their boss, but you're working with them as a colleague and that you're trying to make the whole space a better space, the whole area of their endeavor more fulfilling. That's what I tried to do. And when they kept questioning the fact that I had no journalistic experience worth the name, though I did, I did, and I'll come back to that. I did have journalistic experience to a very limited extent. I used to write for the Sunday in Calcutta, mm -hmm. and I did some very, very seminal cover stories which made a lot of impact in the city and actually did well for the magazine. I worked with Akbar to create The Telegraph and was his first literary editor, books editor. I also did the front page cartoon for The Telegraph. <laughs> really? For the first two and a half years before I came here. I think it was two years, yeah, before I came down and gave up both. So I did have some experience, but obviously when you work in the, when you come to the Times of India, nobody thinks that any experience beyond the Times of India is of any value. So <laughs> I came in here and so to prove myself, I picked up the weekly, which by then had shut down at an abysmally low figure of, I think, of 13,000 copies and decided to give it a shot. Everybody was against it. Everybody thought it was the stupidest idea. It was impossible and it would just ruin the purpose of my coming and joining them. But I did it and having done it proved that it was possible for someone like me who knew very little about politics, very little about journalism, to actually do a magazine which could in many ways impact the course of journalism. Okay. And that was the fun. The Weekly had a great run for about nine years. I had a great run in The Times doing many other jobs. I was the editor of The Times of India. I created a paper called The Independent, which I also later edited. I, I was the publisher of Femina. I did lots of stuff. We, I re revamped the Science Today. We did some interesting stuff with the Hindi magazines, Permu and others. We opened Hindi language versions of Filmfare, Femina. So we did a lot of innovations and we tried lots of things out. And uh, when I did about a decade of work out here, I felt that maybe I'm, I've now had all the fun that I could from this. From, from the print. print. In between, of course, I'd totally given up my writing because a man can't have two mistresses. It would have been stupid of me to continue to be a poet where you're struggling with words and instead at the same time as being a journalist where you're facile with words and writing 10,000 words a day in a cover story. So it seemed a ridiculous uh, conflict of interest so I gave up poetry totally. I gave up all my credit pursuits and I single-mindedly focused on journalism which was inevitable and the management of journalism which was my job. So I did some fun things in the weekly, I did some fun things around the weekly, I did these Times of India celebrations, sesquicentennial celebrations, we brought art into the forefront, at that time Indian art was not, nothing, we, right. we brought it to the forefront. We did lots of interesting, innovating stuff. Do, do you see that missing these days? For, for example, Illustrated Weekly, my father spoke to me about it and he said that you guys like to have a 
with uh, Illustrated Weekly. We don't see that happening anymore. There's no, no I think that media has lost the power. Media has become much more powerful and yet lost the power to impact events as much as it used to do in my time. And I would say it has lost a bit of a, you know, respect as well. People it's become huge, huge, huge. It's become very much a business. In my time when I was there, it wasn't seen as a business. It was seen as a mission. And I think that gave it a certain legitimacy. And when I started doing stories which knocked down governments, lost people, their jobs, got people behind bars, then it people suddenly realized that the media had a crusading role to play. It was something that could change their lives. And so they came to me with a lot more stories. And it was a partnership between us journalists and the public. And it was wonderful as long as it lasted. It totally, totally changed the way media had been looked at, print had been looked at till I had come. And uh, particularly the Illustrated Weekly had been looked at. It was full of bums and tits before me. It was full of stories about different communities and this and that. It's all soft stuff. And I came in with hard, aggressive stuff. And I would at the same time temper with a lot of new things like the discovery of Bollywood. We did a lot of stories on that. Discovery of Indian art. The first, I was the first person to put Indian dancers, Indian music on the cover. So there was always that end too. It was not just a litany of woes or a hammering of criminals. It was also at the same time a discovery of the magnificence and the beauty and the magic of India and Indian art, culture and everything that stood for it. So it was great. It was a great time. Now, do you think it is a problem with the people that we have or is it is it the way media is being perceived? It's looked at as a business, you said, these days. So When you look at something as a business, it tends to lose its partially its independence, its credibility and many other things with it. So after spending about 10 years in, in the print media, you decided to move on to a slightly richer media. You moved on to television. That's right. I did my own show, The British Nandi Show, which I did for about a year and a half. And uh, again, very successful show. And again, it was a new show. It was a new experiment. It was a new thing. Again, it had the same advantages that I had in the weekly. It redefined the game. I did it, then I had a spat with Dudashan, the government, I got off it, we did some entertainment shows after that, we did Indian elections after that, we did a lot of television. And then came satellite television. Right. And satellite television came, we, I did some stuff on Dude on Z, their first business show, India's first business show, it's called Fiscal Fitness. Again, mm-hmm. a huge success, you can see the trophy there. And uh, beyond that, we did uh, some entertainment shows, we did, some, we did lots of fun stuff. But here, the key key for me, when I went through the list of the shows that you did, you know, you did India This Week, World This Week. I, yeah. Hmm. No, no, I, I did World this week. India The Awakening, Khwahesh, Yud, all kinds of stuff. Right. Mr. Gaia, all kinds of entertainment, physical, plus, as I said, uh, the elections, right. face-off, which was the election chat shows, 13 men who were pitching for being prime minister in those days. You had that kind of wide dispersal yeah. of talent in politics. <laughs> and uh, it did some really, really interesting stuff. But when Durdashan died, or began dying, let's say, and the satellite televisions came on, then the only option left for people like me was to be a slave producer for the new channels. Because in Durdashan, you owned your copyrights. You were the master of what you owned. Whereas on satellite television, you made it for them. 
So somewhere my spirit went out because I felt that if I don't own what I create, in any case we make very little money. If you own, don't own what you create, then what is the purpose of at yeah. least getting into that space? So that's when I decided to form this little company and we went out and tried our hand at making a few movies. Small movies, we began with small movies, movies that addressed a completely different audience. Bollywood was at that time trying to reach a pan-Indian pan audience across single theatres all over India. And one or two small multiplexes had come up. And I said, let me address young, urban, educated people who were wanting to, who were eager to see a change in the Bollywood formula flick and were eager to see new ideas, new stuff. We're willing to experiment with And willing to experiment with their taste. So, we did a couple of movies and uh, it began with Bollywood Calling, an right. English language movie, which was huge. Yeah. And then people started saying, Ah, this is a multiplex film. This is a small film. And they used to make fun of the genre. But fortunately for me, this is the genre that picked up. More and more multiplexes grew in India. The single screen started doing badly. The young Indian urban audience grew rapidly. And exactly as I had anticipated, they had common tastes. Where the young, educated young boy in, who, was, was, who was studying in a college in Kolkata, or whether he was studying in a college in, in, the, studying in the IITs, or whether he was studying in Mumbai or Chennai or Delhi, were all more or less similar, much more similar than moviegoers downstream, the old traditional moviegoers, who were more Bengali, more Punjabi, more Gujarati, more Maharashtrian, yeah. more Tamilian, more Malayalam. These were young Indians and uh, they were quite happy with the combination of English and Hindi. English, which is a language we discovered, we were quite happy to experiment with uh, item songs which we discovered and who were trying, who were ready to have fun. I mean, watch a different kind of movie. They, they, were, they weren't interested in a variety entertainment program like Hindi cinema traditionally was. A little bit of drama, a little bit of comedy, a little bit of action, a little bit of violence, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and everything thrown in. Yeah. They were interested in hearing a story, a narrative, something they could relate to with their lives. So <laughs> it was fun, and uh, we started making more and more of these movies. If, if you really look at the movies that you have done, and we are surrounded by all these posters here, there seems to be a theme. I mean, if you leave Hazaro Khoaishe apart, or say, even, even Kate apart, there's a theme, and it is meant for, as you said, you know, the multiplexes. But I've also read you going gaga over how good the movie Lagan was. It was I've, I've read that and I haven't read an article where a person has been has been openly talking so much about how good the direction was. I agree. I agree. I, my, my writing all my life has been either extremely critical or extremely laudatory. Hmm. I am not a great believer in... Uh, Somewhere in the balancing middle. my views and saying this is so but that is so this is true but that is also true this is uh, this could have been but that might have been I'm not that kind of writer if I like something I'll go out and say why I liked it if I hate something I'll go out and hammer it and say why I hate it I think readers love that readers love to be taken along and that's why I think I have a readership following which listens to what I say 
because I don't waffle around. I don't pretend that uh, this is good, but you know, there are some flaws in it or that is terrible, but you know, there's some good things in it nevertheless. I don't <laughs> play games. Huh. I say it as it comes and as I feel about it. Lagan, I think, was a great movie and Lagan was one of the great movies which captured both the multiplex audiences as well as the one single screens, which is a very, very rare achievement, uh, which Amit has, actually. Amit has done that again and again. I mean, he's captured both audiences ac across the board. His latest Gajini is another movie like that. I also found that, you know, we didn't really have that kind of money. My origins were very humble and poor. My stint in the times of India was during a time when journalism was a low-wage island. So, none of us were ever greatly paid. So, this company started with 40,000 bucks. I had 80,000 bucks a separation check from times after 10 years. And 40,000 went into this company and that's how it began. And it paid up equity for 40,000 bucks for four years. Uh, yeah. We worked with that. We worked with that. We are not ashamed of it. We've never hidden the fact that we were not well off, that we are not a great uh, rich company. Actors didn't want to work with us because we couldn't afford their fees. Hmm. So, we worked with those who would be agreeable to work with us and who were more interesting in the movie than in their fees. Right. So, we went out and did some really fun movies. Chankar Beats, mm. Chameli, uh, we did Palke uh, Side Effects, we did Agli Pagli, we did Hazaru Khwaise Si, we did Sur, we did Shab, we did, we did lots of stuff. Kate and Kuchkati, uh, Kuchmiti, lots, lots, lots of, of fun things. stuff. Now, there is this board behind you. Uh, which says 12 commandments according to Pritish Nandi. And it says there are no original stories, only original copies. What I meant was that in the, if you really look at the history of cinema or history of storytelling, you will find there are basically 10 stories at the most, oh, which yes. people talk about differently. There's the Romeo and Juliet story, which is one story. The Angry then Young Man, maybe? The Angry Young Man is another story. The heart, the whore with the golden heart is another story, <laughs> Pretty Woman. Right. And there are many manifestations. Uh, hmm. Devdas is in India and Pretty Woman there. They're completely different stories. But this, it is all about the whore with the golden heart. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> and uh, The underdog. The underdog. Then uh, fighting against the uh, root establishment. So they're basically about 10, 12 stories. Gangster. Yeah. You can't forever aim to be terrifically original in terms of, I am going to find an exotic theme. Because that exotic theme will not appeal to people. What will appeal to people is familiar mythologies, mm. familiar narratives. Because they've grown up. And we in India particularly so, because we have grown up with the Mahabharata, with the Ramayana, which are again great tales. But again, there, there are specific kinds of stories over there as well. Tales of honor, tales of valor. Oh, yeah. So we have to f get into one of those iconic tales, iconic structures, <laughs> as it were, and build your narrative within that space. So don't worry about being too original. Worry about how you tell your story, how imaginatively you can tell your story, not just the direction, how imaginatively you can create that narrative, how beautifully you can write that script, how you can go and hit the hearts and touch the hearts of people. And you've got a good movie. And that's what I'm trying to say when I say that. So, you know, people make terribly arty movies, mm. which nobody goes to watch ultimately. So, that's not the intention. PNC makes commercial movies. PNC makes movies that are supposed to work in the theatres, even if they look 
ostensibly artistic hmm. as so as was chamedi or hazara khwaish they can look at in intelligent i i what i call our kind of movie is the intelligent popular movie it is on based on the popular genre i'm not deviating from the popular genre i'm just trying to say that the public is not as stupid as you think they are please trust me on that the public is very intelligent you've seen it every time they vote you see it every time they make a hit out of a movie you've seen it you see it every time something significant happens in india you see how intelligently the public responds as it responded to the emergency during this gandhi's time and not only did they force her to step down they punished her by defeating her personally in an election against a man like raj narayan who was a crackpot <laughs> just to prove the point yeah so indian audiences are terrific that must have been a humbling experience for everyone and so well now you know i have also read about um, i have also read articles where you have a very famous article which i love uh, titled poop films if if you can recall which goes on talking about how you know the the typical formula and how you go on marketing a, a movie these days you also spoke about how your company was one of the you know earliest uh, registered corporate companies into movie making do you find yourself somewhere in between out there how do you you, you know on one hand you say that uh, the corporate culture that is coming at, into into movie making is probably not the best thing happening to it no i don't say that i say that the corporate culture is one of the best things that happened to it the point is how we define corporate culture for me corporate culture is about cleanliness transparency honesty integrity not taking hot money and putting it into movies mm. like the underworld money that used to come into movies that for me is corporatization that it cleans up the act and makes it like it happened in hollywood as well it it's cleaning up for me the interesting thing important thing and the interesting thing about movies is that movies are about telling stories and if you do it well whether it's a dreamworks or a Mira Max under the Weinstein brothers or a Lionsgate those are my heroes those are the companies i think are the great creative companies of our time i neither have the resources nor do i have the mindset to become one of the big studios so i never wanted to there are many here who do want to and i wish them well it's not what i would like to do i do not like formula movies where the first thing you do is you go and pick nan again get us get two stars and then you call in a guy and say kuch jaldi likh do inka ye dono ko leke and then you go on to the floor and you think it's funny because uh, you put in some gags yeah you put in some rich invigorating music sometimes a very good music i'm not questioning the skills that go in the skills are of an extraordinary level the actors are very good our music directors are outstanding they produce great music but the point is are you making a movie or are you making a commercial project that you can sell to somebody and make lots of money that seems to be the guide load star of today's business movie business that everybody's trying to make that movie which is going to make a lot of money it's the same with art if you say you know i find very few people talking art today they all discuss how much does that canvas cost per square inch yeah. is husain's price higher than gaitonde's is suza more expensive than sabawala these are the issues and which bothers me the same thing about movies nobody asks if film was good or if this film was bad their constant inquiry is kitna paisa banaya box office mein 
सैटेलाइट में कितना मिली सो दिस इज वॉट फ्रस्ट्रेट मी दैट दिस इज अ क्रिएटिव बिजनेस इट्स अबाउट सक्सेस इन क्रिएटिव टर्म्स इट्स नॉट अबाउट ओनली कमर्शियल सक्सेस सो आई थिंक वी नीड टू फोकस ऑन क्रिएटिविटी इफ यू लूज द मैजिक ऑफ क्रिएटिविटी यू कैन डू एवरीथिंग इन द वर्ल्ड दैट यू विल नॉट गेट हिट्स हिट्स डोंट कम फ्रॉम अ फॉर्मूला फॉर सक्सेस एसेंस ऑफ सक्सेस इन अ क्रिएटिव स्पेस lies in producing outstanding quality work in chasing excellence if you chase excellence commercial success will come but if you chase commercial success excellence may or may not come but right now what is happening is the commercial success is taking on more importance it has a precedence it's it's like anything it's like lakshmi there are more people worshiping lakshmi in india than saraswati but my theory is that if you worship saraswati lakshmi will follow will come along yeah that's a good way of putting it actually the, now you know i i had this question about and we'll have to go back to your illustrated weekly uh, days and i wanted to talk about the interviewing skills that uh, you had and one particular interview that you know i am a big fan abhishek who couldn't be here is a big fan was is that of your time the time that you spent with kishore kumar and in in the interviews that you have done you call them as your friends you refer to them as your friends the question i'm going to ask you is how do you manage to get a person who is you know who has achieved a lot of success in his own field to actually open up to you because i treat everybody as equal i i'm opening up to you not because you are my equal in terms of your achievements but because all creative people are essentially people who do not see themselves as god people who see themselves as modest humble and creative that is the essence of true creativity and just like you are interviewing me when i went and interviewed people i treated them as my equal and they treated me as their equal that is the challenge that is the challenge of reaching somebody and being able to con- convey and communicate with the person in a language that the person is ready to open up to you okay so that's the secret the secret is very simple humility be humble yourself deal with the top people in the country and usually always they're humble people and if they're not humble they don't deserve to be there so you don't need up you don't need to interview, interview them, them. <laughs> well that yeah uh, now we have, we have spoken about you know many of your aspects i'm sure we have missed out on a couple of them but one thing that i wanted to ask you was about your political career short and brief i was saying it's six it years in, six years in parliament yeah. it's not really that short agreed six years in parliament is a full term agreed agreed but you chose a very surprising partner to become you know it's no difference to me i i have heard this many times from many people what they don't realize is that when i did the weekly and i was a journalist after that as well and i've been writing since then and i write on political subjects every day a lot of people say you can that it's easy to criticize but it's not easy to to go out there and do it yourself so i did try so i said let me give myself a shot and see if i can do it and i went many people offered me seats in parliament many political parties but the one that physically gave me a seat and said go and sign on tomorrow was a man called balasab thakre and uh, it was a joint seat it was a joint i was a joint candidate of the bjp and the shiv sena and i went and sat in the treasury benches which was a great honor and a great privilege and was an opportunity to do great stuff but is not easy for one man to change an entire system that's what i discovered 
I did a lot of things. I'm the, possibly the only member of parliament who won a new UNESCO award for heritage. I've been on some seminal work for Mumbai, stuff that uh, will stay forever. The Kalagoda Festival? The, the Kalagoda. The whole making of Kalagoda into an art district was mine. The JJ School of Arts restoration, the David Sassoon Library restoration, which is Asia's biggest library. Lots and lots and lots of things. And uh, it's not even worth talking about because it would seem like being too pompous. But I did actual physical things. But did I impact the politics of India seriously? The answer, if you ask me, is no. Can, uh, can you have any impact? I was just can about to say that I don't think it's possible for an individual to make an impact beyond making an attempt. I made an attempt. I made a serious attempt. If it didn't work, maybe I, I should have stayed back in another term. But I was disappointed. The one part of my life which I was disappointed with. So I didn't stay back for another term. I said, let me go back and do some other stuff and I'll come back if I feel like it again another time. Possibly I will and possibly I will change politics in some way or the other. I will make an impact. But, you know, politics is not just about your abilities. Politics is also about the environment where you find yourself, the circumstances yeah. where you are. Yeah. Maybe I would have been better if I was not sitting in the treasury benches, but if I was sitting in the opposition. As a journalist, I've always been in the opposition. True. Well, the one last thing that I wanted to talk to you about was, uh, while, while researching up on you, was you set up India's first cyber cafe. Yes, I did. That, so what's your next step going to be? Because you have, if you really chart you must your... must realize that everything I've done is really in one space. It's media and entertainment. It's not really any other space. And uh, it gives, gives an impression that I've done many other things, but they all add up to media, entertainment, art and culture. That's hmm. my space. And uh, for me, the internet was the discovery of a new medium. When I talked about it, people laughed at it. When I set up the first internet cafe, people thought it was a ridiculous thing. The net would never catch on. <laughs> and uh, they really believed it would never catch on. And uh, I tried to get lots of people interested in it. I was just a little ahead of my time. Hmm. But that's life. That's the magic. I see myself as a frontiersman. I don't see myself as the Henry Ford of media hmm. or the Rupert Murdoch of media building empires. I see myself as the Christopher Columbus of the media going around trying to discover new things. That's what I'm good at. We're going to end it on that uh, good note and uh, thanks a lot for taking time out. It's and been a pleasure. Uh, and being on the Point Blank show. And for everyone out there, uh, Mr. Nandi is pretty much accessible, very accessible, in fact, uh, via Twitter. And um, he tweets, uh, his uh, username is Pratish Nandi, pretty simple to remember. So I'm pretty sure that you are already following him. If you have any questions or comments uh, about what we just spoke, you can always log on to www.theindicast.com and uh, leave a comment. That's about it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.